Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop, chief executive here, also a proud member. Today is December 11th, and here in this ongoing pandemic, we are once again live from the studios of our public media partner, 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. Big thanks to them. I should uh, I should mention, however, that we are live today only uh, on the web right now. We had a little bit of a technical problem, and we're delighted to get started now with our Friday Forum. So thank you very much for joining us online and, uh, and over the web. The coronavirus pandemic has caused us to rethink and reimagine the way we live, work, connect, and socialize. And while many believe we may be at the beginning of the end of this pandemic, life as we know it has likely changed forever. And while that thought might cause some to feel some despair, it's also an opportunity, a chance to rethink and potentially rebuild institutions, structures, and to become more equitable, diverse, and sustainable as a society. And why not start with building the cities of the future? What if public transit was efficient, easily accessible, and free, for instance? What if our built environment, our streets, our sidewalks, all the space we share as a common good, what if that built environment prioritized pedestrians and cyclists instead of cars? Crazy questions to ask, I know, when many who are listening right now may be in a car, but stick with us. What if we, what if we asked the end users of new public space or building for their input in the design rather than so-called experts and architects? Enrique Peñalosa, the former mayor of the city of Bogota in Colombia, has asked these same questions and implemented a planning model that promoted equity, restricted car use, and prioritized public spaces, including sidewalks, bicycle paths, pedestrian streets, greenways, and parks. In addition, he's known for his expansion of the Transmillennial Bus Rapid Transit Network, a model for Cleveland's health line. Mr. Peñalosa left office about a year ago. We are delighted to welcome him to the City Club Friday Forum today. And if you have questions, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them into the program. Mayor Enrique Peñalosa, welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. Hello, Dan. Hello. It's very a pleasure to be uh, with you. I'm sorry about the technical glitches. Uh, it's amazing, frankly, that we can connect with you uh, across so much space uh, and, you know, uh, and so many in international boundaries. And so we're delighted to have you with us, sir. When you talk about, you know, I've, you talk about sort of the what a democratic city is. And I think that was sort of your goal was to make Bogota a more democratic city. But what did you mean by that? Well, uh, I believe that uh, we have uh, we have in the world adopted the market, the market economy, the market economy as the best way to manage society's resources. Uh, this was done not because it was good for the wealthy, but because it was good for all of society, uh, communism failed and all that. However, uh, we have been seeking equality for uh, thousands of years in Greece, Rome, the Judeo-Christian revolution. Uh, hundreds of millions of people have died over the last, especially 300 years, for 
equality in the in the get wars of independence, uh, the French Revolution, all of it. So uh, we adopted, uh, uh, but we adopted private property and the market as the way to manage society's resources, and that necessarily generates uh, income inequality. Uh, and so what kind of equality can we have today with the market economy? And I would say that we can have democratic equality. The basis of the American Constitution and of all democratic constitutions is that all citizens are equal before the law. Uh, and I believe it's possible if we really apply that principle to get societies which where, where people do not feel uh, excluded or inferior, and the way a city is built can help much to achieve that. If we are able to have a city in which people of different income meet as equals in public spaces, because the very wealthy can meet the low-income people when they go clean their homes, for example. But uh, what is interesting is if they both meet in a sidewalk or in a park or in a waterfront as equals. And also, uh, if we are, if we, if we really implement the principle that all citizens are equal, for example, a bus with uh, 50 passengers has a right to 50 times more road space than a car with one. So this is uh, this kind of thing is what I meant by that. It's a very interesting notion to you know to to question the very way in which we design our roads to accommodate cars, or to question the way that we. Um, the the way that we share that buses and and cars share road space and a bus sort of from a design standpoint most buses appear as though they're entitled to only about three cars worth of roadway perhaps right and you're saying they should be entitled to fifty cars worth of roadway which is the sort of philosophical underpinning of <laughs> of something like uh, of uh, of the bus rapid transit the the transmillennial system and the helpline here in Cleveland. Um, that prioritizes buses, gives them a, a, a way to move through traffic in a faster. You know, you also talk about, I just want to like sort of pursue this idea of democracy and planning and this equality, you, you sort of take this idea of equality under the law and push it into planning, equality and planning. So sidewalks, for instance, you say that sidewalks are, uh, the quality of sidewalks can tell you a lot about the quality of a democracy. What do you mean by that? Yes, because, you know, uh, first, uh, for for 8,000 years, we have had cities. Uh, and for 8,000 years, we had cities that uh, were uh, pedestrian cities. For 8,000 years, cars have been with us only for 100 years. For 8,000 years, people used to talk in the street. That's where, it, that's where people did business. That's where people played. That's where people socialized in the street. Uh, but cars appeared very recently in history, less than 100 years. In 1900, there were no, no people were killed by cars in the United States. In 1900. In 1905, there were already 500 people killed by cars. And in the decade... Between 1920 and 1930, there were more than 200,000 people killed in the United States. Only in 1923, there were more than 5,000 children 
killed by cars. So we have gotten used to uh, to a life where we are always in 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 risk of being killed. We, we are threatened. So we have to be very careful to keep on the sidewalk. Uh, and so, but we are pedestrians. We want to walk. We want to see people. Uh, and uh, and so I think it's important that cities are designed more for for people well-being, for the most vulnerable citizens, for children, for the elderly, for the handicapped, for everybody, than for cars mobility. And this is the things that are changing some somewhat. Uh, and again, to mention a little bit uh, the issue of. Uh, you know, if people meet in a car, they do not, uh, they are not together because some, one is in one car, another is in the other. But if people meet as human beings on a sidewalk, uh, then it's a completely different relationship. Uh, and this, uh, the more people can do that, the less inferior or excluded they tend to be. We have had a revival of the equality issue over the last 10 years uh, with uh, even in the United States. I was very surprised like with a candidate like Barney Sanders who had very socialistic ideas. Uh, but I think the issue is not so much about income equality because if somebody may, may be very wealthy and can earn a billion dollars a year or $500 million a year, Anyway, this person will probably only spend maybe two or three million dollars a year. Uh, the rest of the money he will is managing society's resources, and he will do it much more, more likely, much better than government. Uh, so, uh, the issue is not to 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 see if we're going to dismantle private property and the market, which I think is the best system possible. But there are other ways in which we can construct equality. Other ways, and cities can be powerful beings. If, for example, a billionaire meets with a low-income person on a bicycle, one next to each other on a traffic light, at a traffic light, then even if one bicycle is worth, costs $10,000 and the other one uh, $200, they are both meeting as human beings, vulnerable, uh, and this creates a completely different type of society. Uh, that's the kind of thing that cities can do. We're talking with Enrique Peñalosa. He's the former mayor of Bogota in Colombia. And we're talking about equity in planning and e equity in transportation planning, equity in urban design, and what it would mean and what it actually looks like to take a city, a legacy city, and turn it into a 21st century, equitable, small-D, democratic city. You can join our conversation with a, a text message to 330-541-5794 if you have questions for Mayor Peñalosa. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet your questions at the City Club, and we'll work them into the program. This is your City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Maltrop. Mr. Peñalosa, can you tell us a little bit, give some specific examples of uh, how you achieved this in Bogota? There are many ways. For example, uh, if we if we have, for example, uh, pedestrian space tends to construct equality. A great city can have uh, any city has a, a if a city has a great 
public pedestrian space so wonderful that even the the richest people cannot not go, cannot avoid going, cannot avoid going. For example, Central Park in New York. Central Park, you know, you can have people who I'm sure any day on Central Park you have people who have who are billionaires walking next to people who don't have any money at all. Uh, in Bogota, for example, we close 120 kilometers of main arteries every Sunday. Uh, and uh, we get like almost 2 million people out riding bicycles, walking in the main street. So it's a very fascinating like reconquest of the city by people. Uh, and this creates inclusion also because the, the low-income people can easily ride from where they live to high-income areas by this, and it's a completely different relationship to the city. Uh, for example, in Cleveland, you have something that is very amazing. You have the waterfront. You have an amazing waterfront. The waterfronts are magic. Uh, but if we have democracy, let's let remember about, let's remember something. Democracy is not just the fact that people vote. That's one of the ingredients of democracy. Democracy is that the Constitution is complied with. And the, the Constitution says that public good prevails over private interest. So, for example, we should never have private waterfronts. A good democracy should never have a, some fancy houses on the lake without uh, a pedestrian, a public pedestrian walkway between the house and the water. This is not a democratic way. So I wish in Bogota we are, a, we are a city in the mountains, beautiful mountains. I like to ride bicycle in the mountains, and it's very nice. But I would love, it would be like a dream to have anything resembling what you have in the lake. You know, to us, the, anything to be close, we have nothing even similar to that. So uh, waterfronts are so magical. For example, London. London has maybe the best parks of any city in the world. And still, you have hundreds of thousands of people walking next to the river. Hundreds of thousands, because water is magic. People like to be near nature, near the waterfront. Uh, and so, if you are able to, to achieve, to build, like what they have been doing in Toronto, for example, uh, to have some wonderful waterfront, uh, world-class, that many tourists go to Toronto just because they want to walk or ride a bicycle on the waterfront. And then if the richest people in Cleveland go ride a bicycle or walk in their fantastic waterfront in Cleveland, then these people will meet as equals. And uh, it has many connotations. Good for tourism, but it's good for social integration. Uh, and uh, this is the kind of things we are talking about. To, to have a, a space for people, for children, for the elderly, for the wealthiest people, for the lowest income people, having a coffee together. Then you create a different kind of city and a city that becomes uh, more harmonious and more socially integrated. And these things may be more important for equality than the discussions about where we are going to increase taxes on the wealthiest people. Now, the wealthy people know, must know that they are managing society's resources. They cannot do whatever they want with their money because private property exists not because there is anything sacred about private property, but because we have adopted it. But 
we can do away with it anytime we want if it doesn't work. So wealthy people cannot have extravagant mansions or yachts or jets or crazy things that uh, that uh, they are managing society's resources. They should not have private waterfront, for example. So, Mayor Peñalosa, I want to ask you: You were you you served as mayor twice, once prior to uh, to two thousand, and then again more recently from twenty sixteen to twenty nineteen, and it's in your your more recent. Uh, term where you implemented a lot of these changes, but you also got into a, f- a fair number of fights. Uh, it was uh, you've described it almost as a war that you went to 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 get people to stop parking on sidewalks, for instance. Um, uh, you and at times during that term, you seem to have paid a political price, at least in terms of your your favorability ratings, for instance. Um, yeah. You talk about the 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 battles you chose and why you chose those battles. Um, and, and how effective they were in transforming the city and what you see today when you look outside your window in Bogota. Well, at first, for example, I mean, I even uh, had some, so I did have some participation in the health line in Cleveland. But these kind of systems which take space away from cars to give to, to buses, these systems come, I mean, Cleveland, you don't notice so much because there is not that much traffic or not that much people. Mm-hmm. For example, our BRT in Bogota, it moves uh, more passengers per kilometer or more passengers per mile or more passengers per mile direction than all subways in the world except three or four. We move more passengers per mile in our BRT than the New York subway or than any subway in Europe. Uh, So uh, this implied a battle because we had to take space away from from cars to give some lanes exclusively to public transport. Uh, but I think it's worth it now. We have a system that moves, I guess, nearly 3 million people per day, uh, and it's been incremented by almost 50% at this time in, in, in different projects. Uh, the, bicycle, the bicycle network, Bogota is an 8 million inhabitant city, and now we are moving about 10% of the pop, we were we, we started 20 years ago. We had almost zero people going to work by bicycle, and now we have about 10 percent of the people using the bicycle to go to work. And of course, all of this is difficult. When you say, for example, if we are going to do in Cleveland to to get rid of parking spaces in some streets and to make instead, instead wider sidewalks or bikeways, so people will protest. But it's, it's important to remember that parking is not a constitutional right. Government has no obligation to provide parking. Government has many obligations. Government must provide health. Government must provide education. Government must provide uh, safety. Government must provide even uh, some kind of culture. But parking is not one a constitutional right. Uh, so, uh, but when we design a city, really, what we, what we really, a city is only a means to a way of life. The question is, how do we want to live? How do we want to live? Uh, and uh, I think that uh, there are a few changes that are, any change is difficult. Any change is difficult. Always, uh, for example, uh, I know uh, maybe the people who listen to us are young, but when I first uh, 
I was a vice president of the Bogota Water Company. And anyway, I was computers arrived. And it was very difficult to switch from the typewriter to the to the computer, to the PC for me. And I remember I sent many people to courses, to computing courses, to, for example, my secretary. And uh, she was very proud and she wanted to take the course. Uh, and then she came back uh, the, from the course a uh, couple of weeks taking the lessons or whatever. And then she put a flower pot on top of the computer and continued using the typewriter. So even for something that is so wonderful as a computer, uh, which now we say, how can we live without one? And it made our life so much better and so much easier. It was difficult to change. So we must expect any changes to confront resistance. When uh, when you made these changes in Bogota, did you, and you asked that question, that a city is just a, a means to a way of life and we need to decide what is the way of life we want, did you find it hard to convince people? Or did you bother convincing people? Or did you just know? Hard. It was very hard. And sometimes I had to make decisions which have a lot of political costs, as you say. But in the end, uh, people changed the way of life, and they liked it. And I mean, things continued, for example, to expand the bus system or the bikeway network or the sidewalk, not because I was in power or because they liked me, but because they liked it. So I think... Uh, the, of course, they will, it, will, it will be necessary to make difficult decisions. Uh, and also another thing that is important to know is the following. Uh, we believe that market, the, the private property and the market, makes most of the decisions to see how we arrange our resources and things. But in terms of making a city, most of the important decisions are decisions that must be made by government. So if you, for example, I understand the City Club, which is a, 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 a club uh, organization where there are a lot of business people, but uh, it's necessary to participate in the public arena. Maybe some of them even to become uh, uh, politicians, uh, to go to run for mayor, uh, uh, because uh, many of these changes in a city cannot be done from the private sector. We're talking with Mayor Enrique Peñalosa of Bogota. He's a former mayor. He left office in 2019. You can join us with your questions. You can text them to 330-541-5794, or you can tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them into the into the program. Um, today, Mayor, with, the, with those changes that you implemented, and there's a, a social transformation, many cities are also looking for an economic transformation. Did you find that the, and we've seen this in cities around the United States, India, Indianapolis, for instance, created their cultural trail, which is a bike network that circles downtown, uh, that has had economic development transformation, transformative effects. And I wonder if you saw the same around some of these pedestrian and uh, and bike-centered, these sort of human-scaled projects that you implemented. This is a very important question, and even more for you in Cleveland than for us, because um, for, for uh, thousands of years, what uh, created wealth was land. Uh, and so this is why societies fought each other to take each other's land away. 
Later, it was capital. And so many states in the United States gave subsidies to attract industries, for example. But now it's people. It's, uh, it's creative people. It's people who are so good at what they do. And I'm not just talking about the computer geeks or something, but anybody who is good at what they do, who can choose where to live. Uh, and, and, and so uh, at, let, let, let's put it in this way. 50 or 60 years ago, in, uh, in 1950 or 1960, the brightest university graduates in the United States, they had to go wherever the industry decided to locate. And so, for example, they used to locate in some little town, like, for example, Dow Chemical in Midland, Michigan, in the middle of nowhere, you know. And they had to go there and spend their lives and, and bury themselves in Midland or go to cities which were not very attractive, such as Pittsburgh, for example, at that time. Now it's becoming very sticky, but at that time. And so they had to go there because so, they, so industries could locate wherever they wanted, and the best, brightest people had to go there and spend their lives there. No more. And at this time, uh, it, the people are so critical that the people at Google or Microsoft or whatever or Amazon or any of those, uh, 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 Facebook, or uh, so they had to go where the young people they need want to live. That's so now... Uh, for Bogota, for us, it's a very big problem that some of our bright young people want to go live elsewhere. For example, in the City Club, you have one member who is a Colombian, a successful businessman, Mr. Moreno, Barney Moreno, yeah, a Cleveland. Now he's a Cleveland citizen and a Cleveland lover, and uh, he, we lost him. We lost him. You know, we will not, we don't, we don't want to lose any more young Barney Morenos. You know, so we need to make life fun. So, and in the same way, we 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 are very worried that our bright young people will will go to to university in the United States and stay in Cleveland or somewhere. So you have to be worried that your best bright people don't go to New York or to San Francisco or to Toronto. Uh, and so, uh, at this time, I think you have to make it sexy. And sexy means now not sexy to the. In 1950, sexy may have meant highways. In 1950, the, the sexy job was to work at General Motors or something like that. Uh, now, the, the value, the, the worth of General Motors is nothing compared to, to the worth of, the, of these uh, Internet companies. And the people are the important thing. So I think Cleveland can become sexy. For example, if, if I was a Cleveland mayor or a Cleveland city, I would work like crazy to make the best waterfront in the world with the lake you have. That means bikeways, cafes, restaurants, pedestrian spaces, no private waterfront, no big mansions in front of the water, such as you have. I mean, you say, oh, the United States is the most democratic country in the planet. No, because, for example, I go to Long Island Sound, and I, I clearly, democracy means that what is good for the majority is done. And for example, clearly when you have Long Island Sound, you have big houses, big mansions, and most people cannot go to the waterfront because it's private. So, 
And if you if you were to have a beautiful uh, thousand mile pedestrian walkway and bikeway in the Long Island waterfront, in the fancy in front of the fancy houses in Greenwich and all of these places, then people would be happy. It would be more democratic. It would be more attractive. So, uh, I, I I do believe that all of these things that we do for people. Uh, cultural centers. We have been building cultural centers and sports and cultural centers. We have, uh, we built, last time I was mayor, the last four years, we built five with Olympic swimming pools, theaters, music uh, uh, venues. Uh, all of this makes life better. I mean, uh, uh, we have to make life more fun. Uh, for example, many studies show that beyond uh, beyond a certain level, to have more income does not make life happier. Does not make life happier. But to make a better city does make life happier. I don't know anybody. It, it, so I think sometimes public investment, public expenditure can increase more happiness than private expenditure. I mean, for example, an upper middle class person in Cleveland or a middle class person in Cleveland to change a car, will it make him happy? I mean, it will make him happy maybe for two weeks or so. Afterwards, it's another car, you know, or to have more clothes, you know, oh, so what, you know, more clothes or a bigger tradition or something, you know, or maybe a more expensive drink, you know, who cares? But if they had an amazing waterfront and they had have an amazing park, and they have public uh, musical events, things like this. This may perhaps is more important to make people happier. We're talking with Enrique Peñalosa, the former mayor of Bogota. You mentioned Bernie Marino, a great friend of the city clubs, and he's he is. we should give him credit for connecting us to you, and we thank him for that effort. And I also want to mention, too, that one of the reasons we wanted to speak with you is that the Urban Land Institute of Cleveland is convening a, a symposium in March on the 2nd and 3rd, and this, these ideas of creating a 21st century city, of what a right-of-way, what a 21st century right-of-way for pedestrians or public transit would actually look like. These are the topics that are on the agenda at that symposium, and uh, that's the Urban Land Institute of Cleveland as a community partner for our program today. If you have a question for Mayor Peñalosa, please get in touch. You can text that question to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And you can also tweet it at the City Club, and our team will work it into the program. I want to bring in some questions from, uh, from our listening audience Mr. Peñalosa, this first one, I love the idea of public spaces as equalizers from a socioeconomic perspective, but realistically, who occupies a public space makes a difference. For example, how a group of young black adolescents is perceived in public space is completely different than how a group of young white adolescents is perceived. So how can a public space be truly democratic, small d democratic, and equal when we consider race? Well... You know, it's the same. This is exactly what I mean. Uh, sometimes, even in in our society too, unfortunately, uh, we are so unequal that even many times in Latin American cities you can almost physically see some differences between the upper income and the lower income citizens. In the in sometimes even physically, or other times 
uh, the, the, by the clothes or whatever. What is interesting when people are walking or it's fair that they are not separate because one is in an expensive car and the other one is in a low-cost car. It's very different. The relationship between two human beings is totally different. For example, first, as I mentioned, if, you are, if someone is the, the uh, house owner or the apartment owner and the other one is the doorman or the gardener, you know, it's a different. It's different if they meet as uh, employee and boss than if they meet as equal. Second, uh, if they meet in a car and one is a $300,000 car and the other one is a, a $10,000 car, it's a difference. If they meet as human beings, so how can a city create? Because upper-income people, they love to go where they don't have to meet with poor people. They go to faraway suburbs where they don't have to meet low-income people in their neighborhood. They have country clubs to go play golf where they are not going to meet any low-income people. So the point is, where is it more likely that the, 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 the young black and the young white uh, will meet as equal? In a, in a private country club golf course or in a public park? You know? So what I think is, and, and, and upper-income people will do as much as they can as much as they can, not to go to places where they have to meet with lower-income people as equal. Uh, now, we, we, of course, can have uh, Afri African-Americans who are very wealthy. You know, that's a different story. But I'm talking, I mean, I don't care so much about the race issue. To me, that's not an issue missing in the United States, but more the income issue, because there can be poor whites or poor uh, Latin Americans or poor blacks the issue is income. So uh, if, if we are able to create spaces that are so fantastic, so beautiful, so well-made, uh, activities, cultural activities that are so amazing uh, that even the wealthiest people cannot avoid going, then, and I think you have the, the best uh, possibility, which is waterfront, like they have done in Chicago, in Toronto, everywhere in the world. So this is, this is. Uh, but Mr. Mayor, uh, I think I think what I hear you saying is that the, it's also it's not just about the design of the space itself, but how you program it, the cultural activities that you that you put that you put in those places. Well, I think both things, both things. You have the hardware and the software. You know, yeah, the hardware you have to have fantastically high quality pedestrian spaces and trees and parks and uh, and sport facilities. Uh, that. And also, if you program different activities for elderly, musical events, sports events, uh, I mean, you have to do whatever people want to do. What is it that people like to do? What attracts them? You know, it depends on, on each place. Uh, but it's true. You, the, the, once you have done the hardware of doing the pedestrian spaces, it's also important to see what can you do to make to attract people then because what is more most attractive to people you know there is a wonderful urban uh, expert called uh, jangel maybe you invited him to your forums if not you should because he's much better than me uh, and uh, he says what is most attractive to people is people see people we like to go to a restaurant that is full not to a restaurant that is empty you know, in a big concert, 
where you have a people a, a stadium full of people, uh, you could actually, I'm sure you could see and listen to your to the concert much better at home on a screen in your living room than in the stadium. However, the the fun part is to be next to other people. When you go to the beach, of course, uh, I mean uh, you could be, take you could sunbathe on the roof of the uh, building instead of being at the beach. But the fun part is to be there to see the people. And so. Uh, the, the benches at park, which have are most used, is not the benches next to the most beautiful places in the park, but those where most people walk by. Uh, so, uh, uh, I think you're, you're right. It's important to to see how how the the public pedestrian spaces are are used. Another question here specifically about some uh, some of the technical details around bus rapid transit, the how Transmillennia works and, and the, the system that you expanded. The city of Cleveland and the Greater Cleveland Rapid Transit Association have eliminated or eroded several key BRT and bus priority elements, such as bu- off-board fare validation, transit signal priority, and bus lanes. Which of these elements to the bus rapid transit do you think are most important and which go the furthest the furthest to increase equity and efficiency? Oh, that's very important. Very important. First, uh, first, what is mass transport? Mass transport is fast and high capacity. Very fast and high capacity. Uh, now, uh, it's important the two things are related because the speed creates capacity. For example, if you have a system that goes 15 kilometers per hour, you know, a commercial speed, including stuff, and you are able to make it go 30 kilometers per hour, then this uh, same bus will have twice the capacity because we'll do two trips in the same time. And then also we'll have the cost because the, the, for the same expenditure, the bus will do two, two trips. Now, for that to happen, you have to have the rapid transit, the BRT, to go in the middle of the center lane, not on the right lane. Because in the right lane, you have all kinds of obstacles from cars entering the road from perpendicular streets, uh, leaving the road or entering the road, or cars stopping alongside the road or whatever. So it doesn't work. It has to be in the center lane. Second, it has to be a prepaid system. Uh, with a, with a, when you pay when you enter the station, not when you enter the bus. Because if you have a, a place downtown where you have many people uh, entering or leaving the bus, and then uh, uh, each, if you, for example, you have 20 people or, or 15 people or 10 people entering a bus, and you have to climb the steps, and then you try to, with your little car there, uh, to read, and maybe one car doesn't read, so you have to wait one or two more minutes. So it will be very slow. So you need to have prepaid system, prepaid uh, uh, station boarding, not bus, not 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 to pay when you board the bus, but when you board this, when you enter the station. It sounds like what you're saying is that all of these pieces, these pieces that add up to efficiency, are also what add up to equity that it's the efficiency and the speed that makes it a more equitable form of transportation. Right now in Cleveland, for instance, the 
it would take if I were to take public transit downtown, it would take me 40, 50 minutes door to door. If I drive my car, it takes 25. Yes, exactly. This is uh, in Bogota is the opposite. You know, you have to if you take the car, you go much slower than if you take the public transport. I mean, why do people in London or in New York use public transport? It's not because they are environmentalists or because they love public transport, except maybe a few hippies or something. But no, <laughs> they use public transport because they have to, because it's too slow to take the car, because there are traffic jams. This is, you know, whenever people use public transport, normally it's not because they love the environment. It's because they have to, because it's much faster than using the private car. So also you can do carrot and stick policy. On the one hand, you can improve public transport more and more uh, to make it more ubiquitous so it goes everywhere to increase the frequency, uh, to increase the speed, all of that. But on the other hand, you can also implement restrictions to car use. You know, you can take away parking spaces and make wider sidewalks, for example, uh, or things like this. So, the two things go together. And now, Cleveland, maybe it was okay if it's just a small city with uh, 500,000 people or something. Uh, and uh, then there's no big, no big problem of traffic. But if you want to be a city like Toronto or something that really is, has maybe 4 million people and uh, a lot much more cultural activities and economic activity and all that, then it may be necessary to have uh, some different systems. I, have a... thing I want to say, I would say something. Cleveland, when you hear Cleveland, I am not an American, and so I don't know much, but I know Cleveland is famous because he has some universities, it's important, and because he has some uh, great health. But normally I don't want to go as a tourist to a, to a city that has great hospitals, you know? I mean, this is not very sexy to have great... I mean, despite the respect I have for, for doctors and these geniuses who work at the hospitals, but this is not the most attractive thing for people to go live there, you know? Well, you know, go come live here or come as a tourist here because we have great hospitals, you know? That's not the most sexy thing to attract people, unless maybe you are... Yeah, terminal, uh, terminally ill or something. I understand. Mr. Penulis, I have a bit of a personal question to ask you. H- had you wanted to to serve another term, and and did you push too hard to win another term? No, the problem is the following. In Colombia, we have a very stupid regulation. We do not have immediate re-election. We don't have. I think we should have at least one, like in the U.S., for the presidency, one one reelection, not two, but one. Here, no, you can be reelected, but only after a term has elapsed. Oh, you know? so you couldn't have served a so, second, uh, another four yeah, years. I cannot do it immediately. No, no. I understand how. So, well, I have lots of questions about that, but that's about the structure of democracy. Um, another question for you: You mentioned the idea of equity around one bus filled with fifty people versus one car with one passenger. What would that idea look like when you apply it to equity on the waterfront? You've been talking a lot about the waterfront and improving that. Yes. What I say is the following. You know, uh, the basic principle of democracy is that 
public good prevails over private interest. So you have to do things that will make the life of people happy. And, and this is done, for example, in the United States, you use eminent domain. Sometimes when you need to build a road or an airport or a port, you know, you need to buy private property. And so you do it forcefully. Uh, sometimes even for redevelopment projects. There is the famous uh, uh, Supreme Court ruling of uh, uh, this place in Connecticut. I forgot the name. Um, but uh, where you can even do uh, eminent domain to do private redevelopment projects. Now, I think clearly, I don't know the waterfront in uh, Cleveland, but uh, it's possible that some of, some of it is private privately owned and is not uh, there is no access to other people or that it does not have a beautiful infrastructure so i believe even if you have fancy houses in front of the waterfront or whatever you have uh, is democratic i mean is is to to have access increase increases in uh, it makes so much more people happier for example Remember when there was the French Revolution, you know, and uh, the gardens and the, the what is now part in Paris, most of it was private gardens for the aristocracy and the king. And it was necessary to cut the head of the king in order to turn the parks into, into the, the, the gardens into parks. In England, it was similar, even though it was, it was not necessary to cut the the king's head, but it was similar uh, social changes that were made possible to turn the the gardens into parks. Uh, now, uh, we could say that golf courses, golf courses in the places where there are not great parks, maybe we should also turn them into public parks. Uh, and this is a uh, democracy maybe even those, those golf courses even have tax exemptions tax benefits because they are green areas for the uh, for the world no uh, so almost because of those of those tax exemptions society has already paid for those golf courses uh, in the in the tax reduction but uh, in the 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 waterfront is particularly an asset for example I love uh, in in Chicago. You know, Chicago is not exactly Cuba. You know, however, Mayor Daly there. You know, I remember in the United States there there are two people whom I admire. In New York, there was Mr. Robert Moses, who was the one who made a lot of New York, much of New York. And he, for example, used eminent domain to take away to buy forcefully buy very large properties on the Long Island Sound from some big wealthy aristocrats and powerful people and turn those into public parks in Jones Beach Park and so. For example, when the King of England or the, the Prince of Wales or whatever used to go to New York in his yacht, he used to dock at the Columbia Yacht Club. And Mr. Robert Moses also uh, took away this uh, Columbia Yacht Club and demolished it and made a great park, which is now Riverside Park, 
which is wonderful. First of all, he put the, the rail underground, the railroad, which used to go to Riverside. He put, he also widened the, he made an infill, land infill and made, anyway, he made, he took away. Now, in uh, in Chicago, Mayor Daly, recently, only about uh, 15, 20 years ago, or to something like that, uh, there was an airport, Makefield, in the center of Chicago, where the, some big business people used to land with their jets in the center of Chicago. And Chicago also had already had a large park. You know, you could have said it was not necessary to take away Makefield away. However, it was a very critical area in the center of Chicago. So he, he told them, finally, he won a ruling by a court uh, and uh, the other people were going to appeal on Monday next week or so. So Mr. Mr. Daly went with bulldozers and took away the, the landing strip and all that, and they had to take some planes out in trucks, by truck. So this is just to say that maybe to create the waterfront that the new Cleveland deserves, you may have to have conflict. Not everybody will be happy. You have to put some public pedestrian or bikeway in front of some fancy homes or, or buildings. Or you may have to demolish some buildings. I mean, you cannot make, I say, you cannot make, a, 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 in Spanish we say, maybe you cannot have a, a, a tortilla or a scrambled egg without breaking the eggs. Maybe you have the same expression. Yeah, yeah, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Exactly. So it's the same. You have to have some conflict. You know, democracy is is one thing that we have to accept in the United States to advance. You know, it may be, I mean, I admire, I love the United States. I love the United States. I admire the United States. But simply sometimes, sometimes, just for a few minutes, it's good to, Accepting the United States, now, David, even though it's very advanced democracy, is not as perfect a democracy as they think it is. No, we're always struggling to become a more perfect union, right? Isn't that the, isn't that the the founding document suggests suggests the very thing? How do you think private organizations and uh, non-governmental organizations can support public goods? Is there a role for uh, for private sector? in creating these kinds of opportunities? Of course, and as we were saying at this time, one of the things that is most crucial for 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 uh, economic development to make a city competitive is to make a city more fun and happier, a better city. It's not uh, today, maybe much more important today for economic competitiveness and economic development, more important than, uh, than tax rates or, or utility rates or the land prices uh, or even education because it doesn't matter if you have great universities, if the people after they study there, they go somewhere else, you know, so, so what, you know, they go study clear and then they graduate and they go to San Francisco. So... Uh, it seems to me, Mayor Peñalosa, that it's up to private industry to build the amenities that go next to the public investment? The important thing is to have the dream, to imagine. You know, sometimes in Spanish you have a saying that is, uh, that say that 
we say, oh, to dream cost, cost nothing, you know, like if it was very easy to dream. No, to dream is very difficult. And to build a shared dream, even more difficult. But so the important thing is, what, how would Cleveland be if you had a magic wand? Let's see, let's have a, a special meeting, meeting of the city club for, to do as a Harry Potter. If you had a magic wand, how would Cleveland be? If you could redo it in any way you wanted, in any way you wanted. So, how would it be the waterfront? How would the streets be? How would the neighborhood be? What the density be? How would the parks be? How would the cultural infrastructure be? And now, once we define what we want, what the idea thing, then we decide if whether it should be private investment or public investment or mix a little bit of both or of course i am of the belief that whatever can do whatever the private sector can do is better private sector is more efficient private sector does so whatever can be done by the private sector all the better but first of all let's try to build a shared dream one day just as a as an exercise as a game to dream Without restriction, not say because somebody would say, "Oh, I think we should do this." I say, "Oh, no, 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 that's not possible." No, let's play the game in which everything is possible, and then we decide who will do it and when and how. Well, to be honest, Mr. Mayor, we've had a lot of those sorts of sessions over the over the 15 years that I've lived here. I think a lot of people would like to see uh, maybe more action and less dreaming. Um, but that question that, that you point to is a question I've heard you ask before, which is essentially what kind of city do you want to be? Do you want to be Houston or do you want to be Amsterdam? Do you want to be, and lots of people listening right now are saying, I want to be Cleveland. We want to be the best Cleveland. But but there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity. Mayor Penulos, I want to thank you so much for your time today, for bearing with us through the technical difficulties at the beginning and uh, and for, for all the inspiration you've offered. Thank you very much, Dan, and I am sorry for the technical issues. That I have. My, the glitches are my fault. No, it's okay. It's okay. Thank you so much, and I want to thank all of you who are part of our audience for joining us for our Friday Forum with Enrique Peñalosa. He's the former mayor of the city of Bogota in Colombia. Our forum today is the Leonard Ronis Transportation and Planning Forum. Mr. Ronis was a transit leader at the local, state, and national levels. He worked for the Cleveland Transit System and later was one of the architects architects, excuse me, of regional transit authorities in Ohio, serving as the first GM of the Greater Cleveland RTA and founder and president of the Ohio Public Transit Association. We're very grateful for his leadership, also grateful for the support and engagement of the Ronis family. I want to thank also member sponsors, donors, and many others who support our mission to create conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive, especially today, Bernie Marino, who already got a shout-out, who introduced us to Mayor Penalosa. You can find out more about supporting City Club at cityclub.org slash thank you. Also, in September, we launched a new video series called Democracy Unchained. Speaking of democracy, the 10th episode was released last night, and in it we provide analysis of the continuing threats to our democratic institutions and how to rebuild our federal capacity to simply govern. Our featured speakers included Juliet Kayam, the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Homeland Security for Intergovernmental Affairs, and the Honorable Gina Abercrombie Wynn Stanley, former ambassador to Malta and graduate of Cleveland Heights High. Senator Sherrod Brown was also joining us in conversation with Congressman James Clyburn, the majority whip from South Carolina, as well as many, many others. You can find out more at democracyunchained.io. That's democracyunchained.io. 
Also, this was the fourth forum we did this week. You should check out all the others. There's one on public housing, another on the prospects for bridging the digital divide, and one on the fair school funding plan that the next General Assembly will likely take up. That's all at cityclub.org. And this is the last Friday Forum of 2020. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for bearing with us, and happy holidays to you and your families. We'll be back on January 8th. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong. Stay healthy. Please wash your hands. Keep your distance and wear a mask. The vaccines are coming. We are going to get through this. Stay close in your hearts until you can be close in person. Our forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.